Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 203 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. Coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the OpenSea NFT marketplace has had a data breach. The ICO has announced that it is to reduce its fines to be imposed on public bodies, and it gives a reason why. The DVLA has been found to be using the wrong lawful basis when transferring driver data to parking enforcement companies. Then we move to Europe, and Russia has taken down 70% of Lithuania's internet access. We then move to Maine in the USA, where Lakeview's data breach has now affected 100,000 people more than originally identified. With men in the USA, we then have news that the Government Audit Office has found need for improvement to how the HHS records its data breaches. We then travel to Michigan in the USA, where Flagstar has had a data breach. And then we travel to New York in the USA, where Wegmans has been fined $400,000 after a data breach. We then travel to Santa Clara in California, where AMD has had a data breach. And then we leave the USA and travel over to Thailand, because on June the 1st, Thailand has enacted its PDPA, it's equivalent to GDPR, and indeed it's largely based on GDPR, so we have some news about PDPA. And then finally this week, we have news that Google is facing action from European consumer groups, who are arguing that Google does not provide a clear and simple way for a user to opt out of Google gathering data which it later uses for marketing purposes when a user sets up a Google account. We hope you find the information in this week's articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. OpenSea, the world's biggest marketplace for non-fungible tokens, NFTs, has warned its users to be on the alert for email phishing attacks following a massive data leak. OpenSea, where traders exchange the crypto assets, told customers and newsletter subscribers not to open emails and files sent by strangers after revealing the breach. OpenSea said its email database had been passed to an unnamed, unauthorized external party by an employee at a firm used by OpenSea to send automated emails. We recently learned that an employee of Customer.io, our email delivery vendor, misused their employee access to download and share email addresses, providing OpenSea users subscribers to our newsletter with an unauthorized external party, OpenSea said in a statement. It added that potential impact was widespread. If you shared your email with OpenSea in the past, you should assume you were impacted. OpenSea said the incident had been reported to law enforcement. New York OpenSea said there may be a heightened likelihood for email phishing attempts targeting people whose data has been leaked. Phishing attacks involve tricking victims via email into downloading malware or handing over their login details. According to OpenSea's website, it has more than 600,000 users. For Customer.io, a spokesperson said, We are working closely with OpenSea and reviewing exactly how these email addresses were compromised. We believe this resulted from the actions of an employee who had role-specific access privileges that were abused. If we get any updates on this from OpenSea, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the g Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The UK's data watchdog, the Information Committee's Office, has announced that it is to scale back fines for public bodies after admitting that users of services often bear the brunt of the financial punishment. The Information Committee's Office said that it will continue to issue fines for the most serious cases of data breaches in the public sector, but otherwise it will lean on other powers within its remit, such as warnings, reprimands, 
and enforcement notices. John Edwards, the Information Commissioner, said he was not convinced that fines levied on the public sector were an effective deterrent. Fines do not impact shareholders or individual directors in the same way as they do in the private sector, but come directly from the budget of the provision of services, Edwards wrote in an open letter published on Thursday. The impact of a public sector fine is also often visited upon the victims of the breach, in the form of reduced budgets for the vital services, not the perpetrators. In effect, people affected by a breach get punished twice. Edwards said the ICO was launching a two-year trial of a new approach, which would include revealing the scale of the fine that might have been levied in certain cases in order to warn the commercial sector about the scale of the penalty they could expect as a result of similar conduct. Examples of ICO public sector punishments include a £500,000 fine imposed on the Cabinet Office last December after the postal addresses of the 2020 New Year's Honours recipients were disclosed online. The ICO said in light of the new approach, it had reduced two public sector fines for breaching the Data Protection Act. A potential fine of 784000 for the Tavistock Reportment NHS Foundation Trust for accidentally revealing the email addresses of patients at the Adult Gender Identity Clinic had been reduced to £78,400. The ICO said the Trust had taken prompt action over the breach, which occurred because patients had not been BCC'd in the address field for an email inviting them to take part in an artwork competition. In the second case, the NHS Blood and Transport Service released an untested code for matching organ donations to patients in 2019. As a result, five patients awaiting livers were not matched with potentially available organs. However, the error was spotted and fixed a week later, with no serious harm caused to the patients affected. The ICO said a fine of nearly £750,000 for the incident has been reduced to a public reprimand. <laughs> Remaining with the ICO and the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Agency, the DBLA, breached data protection laws in a way it passed on motorist personal details to private parking firms. The Information Commissioner's Office has decided the DBLA was not using the correct lawful basis to disclose vehicle keeper information. However, the Swansea-based government agency, which holds more than 49 million driver records, has escaped enforcement action after a watchdog concluded the breach was a technical of the law. It said DBLA was still allowed to disclose people's information to firms when drivers run by parking fines, but it needed to rely on another part of the legislation for doing this. The ICO's opinion potentially brings some clarity to a long-running row concerning the way the DBLA shares driver information third parties. Parking firms pursuing motorists will often approach the DBLA to get hold of their addresses. Under the law, the organisation is permitted to disclose this information where there's a reasonable cause to do so. However, the ICO has over the years received a number of complaints from motorists angry about having their details passed on. The DBLA had been relying on legal obligation as its legal basis for transferring the data, when the ICO decided that the basis they should be using was public task. Now, while in principle, those people who previously had their data transferred to parking firms could launch a claim for damages against the DBLA for using the wrong legal basis, in reality, we suspect their chance of winning compensation would be minimal because it really is a technical legal definition between which legal basis is used to transfer data rather than there being anything wrong in the DVLA transferring the data. But what this case does highlight is the need to establish in your own mind what the legal basis is that you are using within your organisation for holding each piece of personally identifiable information that you hold. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To the war in Ukraine now, and Russia's Killnet has launched a major attack on Lithuania disrupting Lithuania's network interaction with the rest of the world. Russian hackers have launched a major attack on Lithuania and have cut off 70% of their internet infrastructure from the web 
after they refused to stop blocking EU sanctions goods transiting to Kaliningrad. Kaliningrad is the Russian enclave which is separated from the rest of Russia by Lithuania. The Russian hacker group called Kilnet said it took them just 39 hours to cut off 70% of Lithuania's internet infrastructure from the web. Kilnet tweeted, at the moment Lithuania is in sadder conditions than Kaliningrad and we keep our promise. The group had warned, let me explain on my fingers, web integration of Lithuanian websites and electronic systems is in the blockade. That is, geoblock, web traffic and other means of communication are available only within the Republic. Thus, we are disrupting Lithuania's network interaction with the rest of the world. Lithuania's Deputy Defence Minister said the main targets are state institutions, transport and media websites. A Kilnet spokesperson said they will not stop attacking Lithuania until the blockade is lifted and the hacking group further claimed they have crippled four airport websites. The group said thanks to our attacks, they are still available only from Lithuanian IP addresses and their speed, to put it mildly, leaves much to be desired. Kilnet said in a message sent via Telegram, we continue to hint unequivocally to the Lithuanian authorities that they should immediately withdraw their decision to ban the transit of Russian cargo from the Kaliningrad region to Russia. Lithuanian Prime Minister said, Lithuania is complying with the sanctions imposed by the European Union on Russia for its aggression and war against Ukraine. Jonas Skardinas, acting director of the country's National Cyber Security Centre, said, It's very likely attacks of similar or greater intensity will continue in the coming days especially in the transportation, energy and financial sectors. Meanwhile, Microsoft published an in-depth examination of the early cyber lessons learned from the war in Ukraine, offering fresh insight into the scope of Russia's malicious digital activities and new details about the sophisticated and widespread Russian foreign influence operations surrounding the war. Microsoft has been uniquely positioned to observe the digital landscape in Ukraine since Russia invaded on February 24th and even before that date. Company President Brad Smith noted in March that in addition to funding humanitarian technical relief efforts, Microsoft had deployed its RISC-IQ platform to identify cybersecurity vulnerabilities in the Ukrainian government system. The company provided a list of exposed and vulnerable systems to the Ukrainian government that unpatched high-impact common vulnerabilities and exposures that could provide a foothold for attackers. Microsoft security specialists were among the first to discover pre-invasion malware attacks in January that took down around 70 Ukrainian government websites. The company also deployed protections for newly discovered and destructive malware into Microsoft's 365 Defender endpoint detection. In its forward to new report, Smith discusses the importance of the first shot of any war, drawing parallels between the current conflict in Ukraine and the 1914 assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which launched World War I. In today's context, Russia's first shot against Ukraine was a damaging cyber tool deployed against Ukrainian computers called Foxblade as early as February 23rd, right before the war began. Smith said that Russia's invasion strategy in Ukraine includes three distinct and sometimes coordinated efforts, destructive cyber attacks within Ukraine, network penetration espionage outside Ukraine, and cyber influence operations targeting people around the world. Based on Microsoft's analysis, the company draws five conclusions from the war's first four months. The first is that military invasion defence requires distributing digital assets and operations across borders. For example, not only did Russia target Ukraine's defence system in an early missile attack, but it also aimed wiper attacks at on-premises networks. Ukraine made the intelligent defensive move by dispersing digital assets into the public cloud, so limiting these attacks. Ukraine has withstood a high percentage of Russian cyber attacks. Microsoft said the Russian military launched multiple waves of destructive cyber attacks against 48 distinct Ukrainian agencies and enterprises. 
Microsoft discovered that Russian network intrusion efforts on 128 organizations in 42 countries outside of Ukraine. The US was Russia's number one target, perhaps not unsurprisingly, but Poland, the Baltic nations, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden and Turkey were also in Moscow's digital crosshairs. A quarter of the successful intrusions led to data exfiltration. Microsoft remains concerned about government computers running on-premise rather than in the cloud. Russian agencies are conducting global cyber influence operations with broader geographic reach, higher volume, more precise targeting and greater speed and ability. In addition, they are pre-positioning false narratives in ways similar to pre-positioning malware and other software codes. And it concludes by saying that it's time for a coordinated comprehensive strategy to strengthen defences against a full range of cyber-disruptive espionage and influence operations conducted by the Russian government. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. To America now, and back in episode 191, we brought you news of a data breach at Lakeview Loan Servicing in Maine. Now this week, Lakeview disclosed that the data breach has affected 100,000 more borrowers than originally identified. The number of total customers whose personally identifiable information was compromised now sits at 2,638,057. Lakeview, which claims it's the nation's fourth largest servicer, said the additional 100,796 affected users had their personally identifiable information compromised over the same 41-day incident between October 27th and December 7th, 2021. Lakeview currently faces a class action lawsuit in the Southern District of Florida, U.S. District Court, from clients alleging that the servicer failed to protect their personally identifiable information. When there's any update on this legal action, we will, of course, bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Remain in America and the Government Accountability Office is recommending that the Department of Health and Human Services establish a feedback mechanism to improve the effectiveness of its data breach reporting process. The recommendation, issued in a June 27 audit, follows a significant increase in the number of data breaches involving unsecured protected health information at HHS. The agency's experienced year-over-year increases in data breaches affecting 500 or more individuals in 2015, with the total number of individuals affected each year rising to as high as 113 million people. According to the audit, hacking and IT incidents have accounted for approximately 55% of the 3,200 breaches at the agency from 2015 to 2021. Unauthorised access and disclosure, theft, loss and improper disposal accounted for the rest of the breaches, according to the HHS Office of Civil Rights. The OCR is responsible for implementing HIPPA privacy, security and breach notification rules, which includes management of the breach reporting process. However, the Government Audit Office notes that OCR does not have a method for covered entities to provide feedback on the breach reporting process, nor does the office indicate that it has any plans to develop one. Without a clear mechanism to provide feedback to OCR, covered entities and business associates can face challenges during the breach reporting process. Further, soliciting feedback on the breach reporting process could help OCR improve aspects of the process, auditors noted. To Michigan now, and Flagstar Bank has disclosed the data breach has leaked the personal information of 1.5 million customers. An investigation concluded on June 2nd, 2022, determined that hackers accessed sensitive information in the December 2021 incident. The bank said it had notified affected individuals, reported to federal law enforcement bodies, and initiated incident response plans. Flagstar is a Bantor subsidiary 
with over 150 branches in several states, including California, Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. The bank owns assets valued at over 30 billion US dollars. Flagstaff filed a data breach notification with the Office of the Maine Attorney General as a mandatory disclosure when the number of residents impacted exceeds 1,000. The company indicated that hackers had accessed names and other personally identifiable information and social security numbers of 1,547,169 customers, including 1,028 main residents. In a standard notification letter sent to customers, Flagstar said it initiated incident response protocols after detecting the network security breach. Upon learning of the incident, we promptly activated our incident response plan, engaged external cybersecurity professionals experienced in handling these types of incidents, and reported the matter to federal law enforcement. Flagstar's website stated, The company indicated its services were not impacted and continued to operate normally. Although it was too early to speculate at this stage, Flagstar assured its customers that the stolen data had not been misused. However, the bank advised its customers to be vigilant for potential fraud. We have no evidence that any of the information has been misused. Nonetheless, out of an abundance of caution, we want to make you aware of the incident, the data breach notification letters said. The Michigan-based Flagstar Bank also offered two years of free identity monitoring with Troll to protect the data breach victims from identity theft. This cybercrime involves fraudsters exploiting these critical pieces of information to apply for loans, credit cards or file taxes. Flagstar advised the victims to monitor their financial statements closely. Additionally, they could request a free credit report and place a security freeze on their credit file. The two-year monitoring service will also include fraud consultation and identity theft restoration. Flagstar also promised to harden its defences to reduce vulnerabilities to prevent similar incidents in the future. However, the bank did not disclose the data breach attack vector or whether the incident was a third-party breach or an internal vulnerability. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To New York now, and under a settlement with the New York State Attorney General's Office, Wegmans is paying a $400,000 fine and has agreed to cybersecurity improvements following a data breach last year. The personal data of more than 3 million Wegmans customers nationwide, including more than 830,000 in New York, was exposed in a data breach identified by a security researcher in April 2021. New York Attorney General Letitia James said customers' names, email addresses, mailing addresses, shoppers' club numbers and username and passwords for Wegmans.com accounts were placed on a cloud storage container that was unsecured and open to public access for several years, starting in January 2018. Wegmans found a second misconfigured cloud storage container in May of last year that contained similar personal customer information. Under a settlement with the Attorney General's Office, the company agreed to pay the $400,000 penalty and take new measures to protect consumers' personal data. In a statement, Wegmans said it does not agree with some of the conclusions drawn by the Attorney General, but the company cooperated fully with the investigation. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. To Santa Clara in California now, and AMD has allegedly fallen victim to a data breach, with the attackers extracting gigabytes of data from the company. Now, the attackers are using a mediator to try and sell that data back. According to a report, the mediator is a group called Ransom House, a relatively new threat actor that claims not to attack companies with ransomware itself, but rather serves as the middleman in any negotiations. The group says it has more than 450 gigabytes of AMD data, including network files, system information, as well as passwords, after a breach that took place in January. Ransom House also says that AMD employee security practices were abysmal, using simple credentials like password to safeguard their digital premises, 
which suggests that malware did not play a role in the breach. AMD says it's aware of the situation and that the investigation is underway. So far, the authenticity of the stolen files has not been confirmed. What we do know is that AMD has not paid any ransom fee, as Ransom House's website lists AMD and the companies that have either considered their financial gain to be above the interests of their partners and individuals who have entrusted their data to them, or have chosen to conceal the fact they've been compromised. If we receive any further information on this from AMD, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. On June the 1st, 2021, Thailand's Personal Data Protection Act, PDPA, became effective. The good news is, is that if you're already compliant with GDPR, you're most likely compliant with Thailand's PDPA because it's been based on the principles of GDPR and although not identical, closely follows the guidelines within GDPR. PDPA applies to all entities located in Thailand, whether they collect and use the data in Thailand or not. It also applies to entities outside Thailand, offering goods and services to users in Thailand. PDPA employs a risk-based approach. Businesses are required to prevent misuse of the data they collect, and PDPA compliance always starts with a data privacy policy and procedures that comply with the PDPA. Unlike GDPR, PDPA does not apply to certain public agencies, and GDPR's definition of personal data is more precise, including IP addresses and cookie identifiers, which PDPA does not include. Unlike GDPR, PDPA does not define anonymized or pseudonymized data, though it provides a data subject as a right to anonymize their personal data. The PDPA requires that a website owner verify that their existing data policy complies with PDPA or needs to be updated. The other thing of note is that PDPA does not automatically allow an international data transfer outside Thailand. It allows it only when the receiving jurisdiction has established data protection measures that are equivalent to PDPA. As always, if you would like any help in ensuring that you are compliant with PDPA as well as GDPR, please get in touch with us using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Consumer rights groups in Europe have filed a new series of privacy complaints against Google, accusing the advertising giant of deceptive design around the account creation process that they say steers users into agreeing to extensive and invasive process of their data. Google profiles account holders for ad targeting purposes, apparently relying on user consent as its legal basis. But GDPR bakes in a requirement for privacy by design and default, as well as setting clear conditions about how consent must be gathered for it to be lawful. Hence, the consumer group's concern that deceptive design by Google is tricking users into accepting its tracking. They argue design choices the tech giant deploys around account creation make it far easier for users to agree to Google's process information to target them with personalised ads than it is to deny consent to its profiling of them for behavioural advertising. The complaints highlight how more privacy-friendly options described by Google as manual personalization require users to take five steps and ten clicks, grappling with information that's unclear, incomplete and misleading, whereas it offers a one-click express personalization option that activates all the tracking making it terrible for privacy. They also point out that Google does not provide consumers with the option to turn all tracking off in one click, further noting that Google requires account creation to use certain of its products, such as when setting up an Android smartphone. Now, of course, this is a fundamental with GDPR is that consent must be as easy to withdraw as it is to apply. And so if it only takes one tick box to give consent, then it should only take one tick box to withdraw consent. Regardless of the part that consumer chooses, Google's data processing is untransparent and unfair, 
which consumers' personal data are being used for purposes which are vague and far-reaching, the complainants argue in their press release. The series of GDPR complaints have been coordinated by members group BEUC, also known as the European Consumer Organisation. The BEUC says that complaints have been filed to data protection agencies across the EU, including its member organisations in France, the Czech Republic, Norway, Greece and Slovenia. It also notes that its German member, the VZBV, has written a warning letter to Google and a potentially filing a civil lawsuit, while consumer groups in the Netherlands, Denmark and Sweden have written to their national DPAs to alert them to the practice. Commenting on the action in a statement, Ursula Paco, Deputy DG of BEUC, said, Contrary to what Google claims about protecting consumers' privacy, tens of millions of Europeans have been placed on a fast track to surveillance when they signed up to a Google account. It takes one simple step to let Google monitor and exploit everything you do. If you want to benefit from privacy-friendly settings, you must navigate through a longer process in the midst of unclear and misleading options. In short, when you create a Google account, you are subjected to surveillance by design and by default. Instead, privacy protection should be the default and the easiest choice for consumers. A Google spokesperson responded to complaints in a statement saying, We know that consumer trust depends on honesty and transparency, which is why we've staked our future success on building our ever simpler, more accessible controls and giving people clearer choices, and just as important, doing more with less data. We welcome this opportunity to engage on this important topic for Europe's consumer advocates and regulators. People should be able to understand how data is generated from their use of services. If they don't like it, they should be able to do something about it. The Google spokesman also argued that different options it presents when someone is creating a new Google account are clearly labelled and designed to be simple to understand. We base them on extensive research efforts and guidance from data protection authorities and feedback from testers. We're committed to ensuring these choices are clear and simple. He went on to say, We applied a layered approach to transparency in line with guidance from the EDPB, the European Data Protection Board. The guidance recognises that layered and granular information can be an appropriate way to deal with the twofold obligation of being precise and complete on one hand and understandable on the other. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a insurance production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should be, not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.